You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Hamish, how are you going, my friend? I'm doing well. Yeah, not too bad. It's Pretty uh, uneventful week in the markets and in uh, my oh, personal I know, life, right? So. <laughs> All right, and that's the podcast for today, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in, as always. <laughs> Hang on, let's see what yeah, happens. No, uh, nothing. All right, cool. It's <laughs> actually, this is probably the quietest week we've had in a, in a fair while, but uh, although, know, we still pluck some interesting stories. Yeah, yeah, although there are some interesting stories. I've got an interesting one on Bed Bath & Beyond, that, which has kind of happened over the last week and this week, so it's a bit of a crazy um, uh, roller coaster ride for the stock uh, if anyone hasn't uh, been watching the stock which I wasn't really watching it but um, I've, uh, I've, be- I've become aware of uh, what's happening with um, Bed Bath & Beyond so that'll be interesting so there, there's yeah, some true. interesting stories but nothing kind of broadly happened um, like we haven't we're got- just a little bit too early for inflation aren't we yeah yeah we, we that'll be out by the time um, we're uh, we're doing this so um, and I so can- we'll talk about it next week yeah we'll talk about it next week um Mm. But uh, yeah, yeah. What else yeah. we got to talk about today? Well, I'm talking about one that affects some stocks, the US Airlines. There was a big systems failure by the FAA. So we'll talk about that. Mm. Um, Binance, our favorite cryptocurrency platform, sponsored. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're going on a hiring spree, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Okay. You, you, you wouldn't pick it, right? You wouldn't no. pick that. They're back in um, and I found this story, which probably sounds extremely boring. It's about uh, property values in Sweden. Sweden, <laughs> are you, are you, See, are we're scraping the we're, you, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel this week, guys. Are you thinking no, of moving to Sweden? Quite, are you? Um, you're looking at you're looking at yeah, properties man. in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been uh, I've been on realestate.com. <laughs> dot Sweden. I don't know what Sweden suffix is, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I thought I thought it reminded me of kind of the similar situation we've got uh, over in Australia. Um, so we'll okay. talk about that. Anyway, what else are you talking about? Box office. Like yeah, about we'll, box uh, office. we'll talk about box office. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm a little bit of a movie head, so I always like to take a look at um, what's going on with media companies. And uh, yeah, we now have the not only the US but also global box office results. Uh, for the, the mm. biggest hits, and um, I can give some interesting stats on which companies dominated the top of the list, which particular movies dominated, uh, and also how the box office is kind of trending relative to last year, as well as pre-pandemic. Have they kind of gotten back to the uh, pre-pandemic levels where everyone was kind of enjoying going out to the cinema? Yeah. So we'll see how we go. We'll get through that stuff. Um, it's just one of those weeks where just not a lot's been going on. So all that's okay because we do have quite a few Q&A questions. Is yes. that what you're going to say? No, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to also say that um, although earnings season is upon us, well, it's kind oh, of yeah. basically started, but there hasn't been kind of too many uh, interesting ones we've seen so far. But um, over the next few weeks, we'll probably cover a lot of earnings and we'll try and pick out some companies that are going through um, some kind of unique 
circumstance, something that um, is interesting to discuss. But if you guys see any that you, you know, maybe the, the stock goes up yeah, a bunch after an crazy. earnings, something crazy happens, like, you know, a CEO storms out of an earnings call or something crazy like that, <laughs> uh, please let us know. Um, you can always leave that as a comment and um, we'll be uh, happy to cover it because we try and like find uh, as many interesting ones as we can, but there's a lot of companies, even just out of like the US, there's, there's so many companies reporting um, off the S&P. Mm. So if you find something, let us know and um, we'll be able to cover it. Did you ever watch the IT crowd? Yes. Great series. I yeah. watched all of it, yeah. <laughs> the, the whole the whole your line about walking out of a um of an earnings call reminds me of the guy that owns the company. You remember when the when the, the, the girl tax? comes in? Oh, she's no. like, yeah, she's like, uh, the police are here. They've found some irregularities in the pension fund. <laughs> yeah. He just walks over to the window, he opens the window and he just jumps out. <laughs> And that's it. That's literally how the actor leaves the show is his character uh-huh. just jumps out the window. That's so funny. I haven't thought about that show in so long, but it is very it's funny. It's such a funny show. Oh. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Regularities in the pension fund. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, geez, it's a, that's a bit of a morbid joke, but anyway. Oh, boy. Um, all right, team. Um, let's get said. into it, eh? Hamish, yeah, it's a- who are we sponsored by again? I've forgotten. T- Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use That's to track right. the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically uh, by connecting your broker or you can do it manually by downloading your trades from your broker using Excel or entering them in one by one, however you want to do it. And once you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. Uh, if you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you. Uh, currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link. You can sign up to a free account where you can track up to 10 holdings, so stocks, um, uh, ETFs, that kind of thing, uh, completely for free for as long as you want. Uh, or you can also use that link to sign up to a premium account for more reporting and um benchmarking your account against indexes and that sort of thing. Uh, And if you do that, you'll get four months off a yearly subscription uh, if you sign up to an annual plan. So go check it out uh, if you're interested. And as always, thanks to everyone who is signing up to ShareSide and using our link when doing so uh, and is uh, supporting the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. I want to get your take on on inflation. So inflation data comes out soon. Yes, we've had what? What is it at at the moment? I want to get your prediction. What's it going to be? What's it going to come in at? Yeah, it's that's actually kind of funny. I mean, I have no idea. I think it's going to be well. Here, I'll give a bit of background and then, um, and then I'll give you a projection. But the consensus, okay. the market consensus at the moment is that it's going to come in at six point five percent. So that's kind of where the market thinks it's going to be. I don't really so know. It's seven point one at the moment. It's seven point one and expected to go down to six point five percent. It's actually funny. I um. I, I stumbled upon a CNBC video before where this portfolio yeah. manager was was being interviewed as normal on CNBC, um, just giving their projections. And um, she goes, um, this is exactly what she said. She was like, well, we've seen the rate decline from the last report from 8.3 to 7.1. So I think it's going to come in at around 6.6. That, that's Whoa. word for word her, her quote for why inflation is going to be 6.6%. Not that she's just looked at the consensus of 6.5 and then picked something relatively close so that she's Very probably close. correct but anyway uh, who knows what inflation is going to be I, I i don't even know how they come up with these av- average consensus <laughs> figures they're often they're, they're off sometimes they're close sometimes they're way off so mm. uh 
who knows? But I, I would not, I guess, look, following uh, this portfolios manager's flawless logic, um, it's de- been declining for the past, I think, six months or so in a row, five months or so in a row. Mm. So uh, yeah. that's the trend. And uh, One, yeah, two, if you're going to make me, five. if you're going to force me to make a prediction that is impossible to predict, then yep. sure, the trend will continue and it'll be in the sixes, 6% range. Right. Okay. I don't know. Do well, you have a prediction? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> but um, I mean, if I draw a line of best fit, then yep, you're probably right. Yeah. The <laughs> That's the thing. That, yeah, that, uh, that strategy works until it doesn't. <laughs> until it doesn't. It's until we start going the other way. Yeah, exactly right. And then we'll start drawing a new line of best fit until that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. No, it's so, it's so, and that's part of the joke. That's kind of why I say things like, hey, make a prediction because yeah. we just know that it's just dumb to yeah. make a prediction. So it just makes it funny for us to force ourselves to try and do something like that. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I think the figure comes out tomorrow for us. So it will be out by the time you see uh, this podcast yep. and we'll be able to discuss it uh, next week along with, uh, I think, uh, what the Fed will uh, be doing as well. And probably, I think, we'll also get Australian numbers maybe next week or the week after, uh, and then all the others as well. So we can uh, kind of see how the global uh, inflation is uh, trending over the next couple of weeks. Okay. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, let's leave that there because we'll talk about it more next week. Um, What should we talk? Oh, I'll talk about this FAA systems failure. What the heck is going on with that? Yeah, I haven't seen any of this, so... Yeah, break it down for me. No, I, I've I've only saw it. the only th- the thing that got me switched onto it. I just follow Marquez Brownlee on uh, Instagram, MKBHD, and I was just watching his stories, and he was talking about how he's been like grounded, and then they took off and they had to fly back to where they came from, and just a whole bunch of different delays. But this sounds absolutely ridiculous, and um, and I'll say it up top: the reason it sounds ridiculous is I can't believe there's not some level of redundancy. In this system, because I'll, I'll, uh, anyway, that's that, that's that's my take, and now I'll read you what actually happened. Uh, <laughs> thousands of flights. So the the headline article: FAA systems failure grounds planes across the U.S. Thousands of flights across the U.S. So we're not talking a small, you know, five, ten flights. Like thousands of flights across the United wow. States were delayed on Wednesday after a Federal Aviation Administration pilot alert system failed overnight, prompting a nationwide halt to departures. Wow. The FAA lifted the ground stop on departing flights around 9 a.m. ET as as it worked to restore the notice to air missions system, which is responsible for sending messages to pilots, such as those about closed runways, hazards, um, and other information. The FAA's outage was the second major air travel disruption in less than a month and drew bipartisan criticism. Winter storms derailed holiday travel late in December, prompting widespread cancellations uh, and a crisis at Southwest Airlines after it buckled from all the schedule changes. The NOTAM system failed at 3.28pm on Tuesday, according to an FAA notice. The FAA later rebooted the system altogether and the agency on Wednesday morning ordered a ground stop, which holds planes scheduled to depart. Right. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, said he has directed an after-action process to determine the root causes and recommended next steps. <clears throat> so, so is this the system that connects pilots to information on the ground? That's, that's what failed overnight? Like the, the Honestly, uh, I'm not 100% system. sure at exactly what, what that is, what, what no, that system no, does. System. Closed runways, um, hazards, and other information. That Yeah, I mean, even if it's not the entire system, that's pretty important information. That's crazy. Yeah. 
But the thing, the thing that so it says here, more than nine thousand five hundred U.S. flights were delayed as of four forty-five p.m. ET on Wednesday, according to wow. flight tracker, uh, flight tracker called Flight Aware. Residual delays from the ground stop worsened throughout the day due to backups. More than thirteen hundred U.S. flights were cancelled on Wednesday. There were more than twenty-three thousand flights scheduled to, from, and within the U.S., according to aviation uh, data firm Sirium. Sirium, yeah. Um, but that's, that's the thing. This is what's getting me. This is a, like, this is a pretty, clearly a pretty damn important system. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's gone down and it's literally kept planes on the ground all across the United States. How is there not redundancy built into this system? If it fails, another one kicks in or something like that. You know, the power goes out and the emergency generator starts, that kind of thing. How is there Mm. not some level of redundancy? Yeah, yeah, that is kind of crazy. Yeah, there was a similar thing, or not quite similar, but there was a hack among, uh, I think it was like the emergency call center in Australia a little while ago. There was like a data breach and they had to shut the whole system down just because Mm. there was a data breach and they wanted to protect against that. But there was like no... There was no like way that they could continue using the system while protecting against the data. It was, it seemed just like an obvious thing uh, that they should have in in place. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It is. It's always very strange when these like large um, failures, like software failures or whatever, happen. It's flipping bonkers. I mean, more it's more than nine thousand five hundred US flights were delayed. It's like what? That's it a lot of flights as well. So, I didn't even know they so did that many. many. Flight- and you think like how many people like how many holidays were just disrupted or how many funerals were missed or how many business meetings have to be rescheduled. Mm. It's like dun, 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 like the flow on effects to something like a mass- a major disruption in airlines. It's just like yeah. just all the way down. Everything's <laughs> got to be pushed back. Uh, yeah, sched- everything's got to get scheduled back. So if you're pushing some a meeting back a day, then that pushes everything back a day. It's it is um yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to see a visualization of just the the yeah, like the ripple yeah. effect that that has through the economy, through people's personal lives. It's uh, it's kind of like the butterfly yeah. effect of things, like how you it do is. something and it and you don't really know. You're like a node in a network. I think some people refer to like your impact on the world. It's like you don't know all the little ripples that happen after you do things. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. It's like the yeah, I can't. Remember. Is it in a movie or something? They go back in time and they like to the dinosaur age and somebody just steps on the grass or something like that. And then they come back to the present and like the English language, like A's are E's and E's are A's or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, wait, what? I can't remember. There's something like that. I might be remembering that wrong, but yeah. (laughs) You change one thing and then the ripple effects are just insane. It's like one, one, um, one superpower that I kind of thought, well, I, I, that I thought up, um, that I think would be really, really funny to have. It's really, it's really obscure, but it's the ability to just know any fact that you want to know. Like you just ask the universe a question and you just get the right answer in your head every time. Yeah, <laughs> so it'd be... be so interesting. Like it, these are like unknowable things, but it's like how many business meetings were missed because of this? Mm. How many, you know, it'd be so interesting to know. They're totally unknowable facts, um, but uh, 
yeah, it's so so bizarre. Anyway, yeah. back on track. Uh, the White House said Transportation uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, debriefed President Joe Biden on the outage. Quote, there is no evidence of a cyber attack at this point, but the president directed um, the Department of Transportation to conduct a full investigation into the causes. White House uh, Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre said in a tweet. Uh, later Wednesday, Canada's Air Navigation Agency said it uh, its similar notification system experienced a brief outage, but said no flights were delayed as a result. So that's a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, that system was restored by approximately 2.15 p.m. ET. Uh, anything else to add? Wednesday's FAA... Uh, issue added to the concern from Washington from both Republicans and Democrats, particularly about technology that the uh, complex U.S. air system the world's busiest relies on. Uh, as the committee prepares for FAA reauthorization legislation, we'll be looking into what caused this outage and how redundancy plan- plays a role in preventing future outages. Uh, Senator Maria Cantwell uh, chair of the Senate Commerce Committee said in a statement on Wednesday, that was my point. That's really mm. my point. That's why I wanted to put that quote in because exactly right. Surely you've got to have some level of redundancy here. It says here, another quote from her was, um, the public needs a resilient air transport system. I think that <clears throat> is a fair quote. I don't yeah. know who you are, Maria, but <laughs> it does, I think um, you might be onto something. It does make you wonder if there is a large, another, hopefully not, but if there is another world war that occurs, how much cyber attacks and cyber warfare will play a role in uh, in battles between countries? Because, I mean, even just, obviously this isn't, probably isn't what's happening in this circumstance, but uh, it's just interesting to see that, uh, you know, there is this system that is so vital to a massive part of uh, the US economy and, it's, mm. it's seen that they don't even know what caused it to go down. So like there could be something that, you know, prevents this, this uh, piece of software from fun- functioning. And then that has, you know, massive ripple effects. Um, mm. uh, yeah, it, it does. I do um, think, does make you yeah, wonder. it is interesting. I definitely, I'm no expert, but I tend to believe that war in the future will not be military based. No, I just think that not, a military-based yeah, war is just not – it's costly and it doesn't really achieve much. Like, just kill your enemy, destroy their cities. I definitely think you can inflict much more pain by having, like, the thousand best hackers in the world and doing stuff like this, like grounding all of air tra- – like, hit, hit, hit them economically kind of thing. Like, make it – yeah. I think most war will be economic – in the future. I, yeah, I mean, it's definitely shifted that way over time. It's, yeah. it's when, you yeah. know, obviously, you know, with what's going on in the Ukraine, it's obviously not 100% there, but even with that war, yeah, it's a lot more missile action, um, yeah. anti-AA versus, you know, pure boots on the ground. Uh, so it has yeah. certainly shifted, at least scaled back to more like more uh, air, air uh, warfare. And then, yeah, as, mm. as you said, more economic sanctions and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, that's obviously like a proper war, but even things like this, like these, so- I don't know what to call it, like a soft war between like China and the US with all those yeah, tariffs like a, back yeah. and forth, like a, the economic yeah. tariff, yeah, the import tariffs and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's very interesting, but I definitely think um, as economies get bigger and bigger, then it'll just mm. be, 
yeah, they'll try and target certain sections of economies, but I have no idea. That's just my uh, my washed opinion, Hamish Hodder. <laughs> washed, yeah. My absolutely washed opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if we have any, if we have any like military strategists that listen, yeah, yeah. To, the, <laughs> that listen to the podcast, yeah. please let us know how P- wrong please, we are. Please stop doing your vitally important job and comment on our on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> tell us how washed we are. All right, um, what are you uh, going to talk about? Let's Hamish? talk about Bed Bath and Beyond because this is a this is okay. one of those companies that was kind of it it's it's been swept up in the whole meme stock mania that happened in 2021, which seems like such a long time ago now. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, with GameStop and uh, AMC, so it was one of those. Uh, Companies with a high short interest that got that uh, went through a, a short, you know, a bit of a short squeeze. Wall Street bets, Reddit, that kind of thing. Um, but it's kind of it's back in the news, and it's uh, it's it's kind of reaching a uh, a, a point of uh, contention. So I'll go through what happened last week, and then um, some updates that happened just last night that I just saw. So. Uh, last week, uh, essentially, the company came out and warned investors that they may have to file for bankruptcy. So they've been burning cash Oof. hand over fist, and they're now coming out. And or last week, they came out and said, "Hey, yeah, we're just preparing you for the fact that we may run out of money." Um, they said uh, the quote was, it, "We're running out of money and considering bankruptcy." And they cited uh, worse than expected sales. Uh, warning that in the coming months, it will likely not have cash to cover expenses such as lease agreements or payments to suppliers. So uh, in the coming months doesn't sound um, too far away. That's, you know, you're talking about they've got like a 60-day window to start making some more money. Um, And essentially last week, um, that caused a 30% one-day drop in the stock. So massive uh, collapse in the stock. And and that's also come after it, it had already been collapsing for a while. So... Um, it it yeah. kind of had just accelerated the uh, the decline. Um, they uh, they also said that they won't be able to refinance some debts that they just a month ago said that they were going to be able to refinance. So it's what oh. a lo- it's what a lot of these businesses kind of rely on is they have some debt and they as it comes time as the maturity date comes they just hope that they can find another another bank or or, or uh, another bunch of investors to uh, get a bunch more debt and just refinance basically pay off the old debt mm. um although as the company gets more and more distressed it becomes more difficult for them to do so they have to charge higher interest rates and then it becomes even impossible for them to get new debt because who's going to give mm. money to a company that's <laughs> 60 days away from bankruptcy um it becomes yeah. um you know pretty difficult um that's crazy is it um i i'm guessing i really don't know much about bed bath and beyond but i imagine it's just just sales are down just because people just don't have any money to to buy stuff. Yeah, or they're, so they're just lower discretionary spending. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's probably been a little bit. Definitely, they've been they're they're a brick and mortar, you know, retailer, uh, consumer retailer. So um, they've, okay. they've they've obviously been impacted by and they have some online sales, but not. Um, as much as other businesses. So through the pandemic, they were hit a lot harder than, um, you know, some other businesses that were in a more um, balanced position or, you know, something like Amazon where it was all online. So they were in the perfect position to kind of mop up all of that consumer uh, revenue from companies that um, had mostly brick and mortar stores. But the business, it's not just a a COVID story. The business has been struggling for a little while now. Um, Their sales Mm. actually peaked in 2018, uh, so they peaked at twelve point three billion, 
and then just wow, uh, okay. in the last 12 months, it's kind of been consistently trending down. The last 12 months has been 6.2 billion. So that's like a 50% Ooh, okay. decline Half. since yeah. um, since 2018. And um, the reason why they're in trouble now, even though they're still making 6 billion, is because even before when they were producing their peak revenue, their business was not a very good business. They only had a 3.4% profit margin when they were making $12 billion. So with a 50% fall in revenue, uh, they're now at a negative 20% profit margin. So <laughs> they've gone from, they've gone from you know, $12 billion in sales and, and making a few hundred million in, in profit to $6 billion in sales and losing, burning a billion dollars a year is what their burn rate is mm. at the moment. Uh, and at the moment, if, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say if that's not like a reminder to to really critically analyze a business model before you enter into an investment, then I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's, and it's just like software as a service, <laughs> like <laughs> brick and mortar retailer. You yeah, know? Like and 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 margins three percent, thirty percent. You know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, and and to be fair on on Bed Bath and Beyond, before Amazon came through and and basically destroyed the brick and mortar retail space, they were growing pretty consistently over time. Um, but it is just yeah that the products that they sell are not unique. Um, they tried to do this push into um, uh, uh, home brand. Bed Bath & Beyond branded products and away from national branded mm. products. And that didn't work. They tried that over the last couple of years. But really, it's it's they're, they're selling consumer products that are available cheaper on Amazon, faster on Amazon, um, and a bunch of other places uh, because Amazon is far more efficient and, and they don't have to run these physical, you know, stores. Um so it's just mm. it's just uh, you know a business that's suffering from a massive shift in in at least that part of the the retail industry. Um, so it's just unfortunate. But mm. the company has uh, so they couldn't refinance. They have one point two billion dollars of debt in total that's due partly in twenty twenty four, partly in twenty thirty four, and then partly in twenty forty four. Um, but it's not actually the bulk of that debt that is coming due in the next couple of months that's the problem the problem is that they can't get new debt they they don't have any money and they're burning it as i said at about a billion dollars a year and uh i just checked as, as of the last quarter they have 150 million in the bank in cash so they have 150 million they're burning a billion a year uh so you can you know it doesn't take you know much Crunch math time. to work out that they're not going to make it to the next quarter if they keep this burn rate up um which is exactly what the management team said they said the next couple of months at least they're honest. Yeah, well, they're, they're being honest now. I mean, it, was yeah, like, it was like a month ago. Yeah, a month true. ago, they said they were going to be able to refinance. It's fine. They they um mm. they've really waited. And I mean, look, obviously, any objective person could have seen the business was in trouble for quite a while. But yeah, the management team definitely waited to the last minute to be like, yeah, we're we're going to file for bankruptcy. And, I and take it, it back. I take it back. Well, it, it is it is kind of tough because they want to be positive as positive as possible so that they could potentially sell and issue shares to raise capital because they're they're a business that needs capital. They're burning cash, so they need debt. Then so they need the stock price to be high. They need to be able to get debt. They need to be able to issue stock. So they kind of have to be um, positive in a way. It's it's desperate kinda, times. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of the same as like a new company that's not profitable. They're, the the management team's always going to talk up about how they're going to grow at. 30% per year yeah. or whatever it is because they're not profitable and they want to keep raising capital to fuel that growth. Yeah. So it's kind of the similar, it's kind of like the same thing. You you um, you get a dishonest yeah, management team that's trying to sell the stock rather than, you know, be honest about the underlying business. Mm. 
Um, yep. Even still, like <laughs> I know this would ne- you'd never he'd never need to do this, but like Warren Buffett, it just shows you, like you, when you think about that kind of scenario, like Warren mm. Buffett's the name that springs to mind, which like he would never do that. Like that no. would never ever happen. And it does show you the importance of really getting comfortable with the management team and knowing who's running the ship, so that you know you know that whether you can trust them or not with what they say. Yeah. 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 Ex- exactly right. Um, okay, so that was last week. So the stock was down thirty percent. Um, oh, that was last and, week. Uh, okay. that, was, that was actually the story this I was, week. I, I was going to give um, for for today. And then I checked the stock last night, and the stock is up. Do you want to have a guess? If you haven't, if you haven't looked, do you know? Oh how no, much? I just saw it. Oh, okay, it's up seventy <laughs> percent. It went up seventy percent during the day, and then it went up another twenty percent after hours. So in total, what? in the last five days, <laughs> the last five days, the stock is up one hundred and sixty six percent um so throw all of that stuff i just said about you know bankruptcy and burning cash this is clearly <laughs> the greatest stock of all time we should be we, we should all be investing in um forget in, hometown everyone yeah this is the new um this is the new one no so um yeah that's that that took me by surprise you don't see that every day 70 percent um no it's crazy did anything happen kind of and not really which is it's just kind of funny uh. um but uh, also just to keep in mind uh, the stock had fallen 60% this month. So the 166% rise just about gets it in line with where it was at the start of the month. So it's oh like, my so it is a big increase, but it's kind of, as I said, it's been a roller coaster ride for this company uh, or for the, for the stock, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, so a couple of things happened this week. First on Tuesday, which was not last night, but but a couple of days ago for us recording this, um, they reported their quarterly earnings. So um, that was kind of one event that happened during the week. Uh, they reported a loss for the quarter of three hundred and ninety-three million, <laughs> which is an insane Damn. amount. So um, and, and for the last nine months, they're now at uh, one point one billion dollars in losses. So. They're, they, you know, the last 12 months was was a billion and now we're, as of this new quarter, we're at 1.1 billion in nine months. So they're not only losing a lot of money, it's accelerating. It's 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 going very, very mm-hmm. quickly. Um, the CEO, this is pretty funny. I kind of made a joke to this just before, but the CEO did a 10-minute earnings call <laughs> where she uh, just Ten repeated- minutes. 10 minutes, so it's nothing. Just repeated the press release and then declined to answer any questions. So, um, oh my god! I think before I said, you know, the CEO runs out of the conference call. Um, this is one of them. So <laughs> that's that's it. That is the real life example of a CEO running out of the earnings call. Ten minutes. Yeah, and look, I mean, no questions. That I, te- like honestly, if like that, if 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 you had given me none none of this information that we've just been speaking about, and you just said, do you see what happened at uh, Bed Bath and Beyond's earnings call? Yeah, the CEO repeated what she'd said in a press conference. The earnings call went for 10 minutes and she declined to answer analyst questions. I would immediately be like, that business is done. Yeah. Or just like that something is seriously, seriously wrong. Yeah. Just, just with that information. Yeah. Because that is just so unusual. I was kind of disappointed because um, whenever there's a company going through a disaster, it's always fun to listen to the earnings call because the questions are so obnoxious. You've got to face the music. <laughs> yeah. Like they always just get I mean, slammed. You gotta, yeah. And uh, look, I mean, it doesn't really, yeah. I mean, the questions are going to be what it is, but it's always fun to kind of, yeah. at least I find it fun to listen to a CEO kind of get grilled on tough questions. And um, we didn't get it. But the CEO, yeah. The CEO is the manager for the shareholders. Yeah. That's their role. Yeah. They they work to to benefit shareholders. 
Yes. So yeah. they should. I I think they should always always stand up and talk to the shareholders, no matter what. Yeah. So this is a. This is just a. I think. I think this is quite cowardly, to be honest. If you don't even stand up and talk to the shareholders, I mean, that's what yeah. the earnings call is for. It's to. It's for the shareholders. Yeah. It's for you to say what's going on. It's a quarterly update to say what's going on with the business for the shareholders to get more context, and then for major shareholders to be able to ask questions, or not even just major, just any shareholders to ask questions. And you, as the CEO, as the manager, you need to answer. Honestly, you need to inform your shareholders what's going on. Yeah. So that seems very cowardly, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's what happened. And uh, but interestingly, the stock was flat on the news. So the expectations had already been kind of um, brought in line from last week when they they said that uh, they were going to go bankrupt and the stock dropped thirty percent. Um, but it wasn't. Yeah. So it was the next day where the CEO made another announcement. The CEO said we're going to do further layoffs of staff to cut costs. And that's the day that the stock went up 70% and then another 20%. So it was kind of very strange to see, um, you know, nothing happened on earnings, but then she announces that they're laying off staff and the stock goes up 70%, which is kind of weird. Um, It also seems to have been a part of a larger, a broader meme stock rally. AMC Mm. was up 20% and uh, GameStop was up uh, 7%. So it was kind of all of these these stocks kind of rose together. And I would imagine... Um, there's there's some uh, some push for retail investors to potentially try and force an, a short squeeze in, in Bed Bath & Beyond, which now has, I think it was a 43% short interest. So pretty Ooh, high wow. short interest. Um, although it's uh, a high short interest that in this case is, is fairly reasonably justified given a bankruptcy seems like it's more than likely at this point for the company. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, yeah, there's been no shortage of controversy for Bed Bath & Beyond. I think there was a day earlier in the year where it went up like 200% or something. <laughs> there, was like, there was a crazy... If you look at... go, Everyone can go look at um, Bed Bath & Beyond's uh, stock chart. Um, and it's just ridiculous. Yeah, what did it do? It did, um, it did like 300% in a week. <laughs> like uh, during August. Whoa, yeah, um, it did. 275. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a that was wh- crazy August a- last year. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty funny. So there you go. That's um, that's Insane. Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, mm. Bonkers. That is absolutely flipping bonkers. All right, what should we talk about next? <clears throat> I don't know. Let's talk got? about. Um, let's talk about this Sweden property value thing because I thought this was kind of interesting because it kind of reminded me of uh, Australia a little bit. Yeah, okay. So here, it's not it's not that exciting. In fact, you can probably imagine everything I'm going to say when I just say property prices in Sweden are tumbling. You can probably guess why that's happening and <laughs> and everything associated don't, don't with it. It's, it's not like I, I, I'm excited. I'm okay, excited. Let's, let's hear. All right. Okay, okay. It's the most groundbreaking story you'll ever see. Sweden's property prices are facing a serious drop as the country uh, country's former central bank governor warns of lofty household debt levels. Household uh, house prices in Sweden have risen fairly reliably over the past decade. This has been uh, this has been buoyed by ultra low interest rates in a system where around half of people's mortgages are financed with variable rates, and uh. many of them, uh, many of the rest, are on short term fixed rates. Uh, so it does sound like, very okay. familiar to Australia. <laughs> yeah, it does sound familiar. Um, 
But now property prices are tumbling, and this downturn is not surprising given the dysfunctional nature of the market, according to Stefan Ingves, uh, who headed Sweden's Riksbank from 2006 to 2022. Quote, I've persistently, time and time again, said the debt level in, in the household sector is just way, way too high, and there will be a day of reckoning, and eventually rates will go up, and now rates have gone up. Um, that was Ingves talking to CNBC's Squawk Box Europe. Uh, What you see happening now is almost exactly what you would expect to see happening. And that is that households have to pay more and the interest rate sensitivity is much higher. So they're more sensitive to changes in interest rates, which is kind of what we've been talking about um, with Australia as well. Yeah. Um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, house prices rose across Europe. Um, and Sweden was no exception. Demand for property skyrocketed as working from home became a preference for domestic vaca- uh, and and a preference for domestic vacations prompted people to upsize their spaces. On average, house prices were up as much as 30% compared to pre-pandemic levels of January 2020, according to Nordea Bank. As the Ricks Bank uh, started purchasing mortgage bonds, trying to trying to bring, bring rates down and adding fire to an already hot housing market. But now prices are falling. Quote, as of November, we are seeing prices nationally in Sweden fall 13% from the peak in February. Wow. It's the largest downturn on the housing market since we had a big economic crisis in the 90s. That was Gustav Helgesen, an analyst at Nordea. Um, and as you might expect, in 2022, Sweden's central bank undertook an aggressive interest rate hiking cycle that uh, ricocheted through the property market. In February, the Riks Bank signalled uh, its policy rate would remain unchanged at zero, uh, but eventually they you know, raised 0.25%, then to 0.75%. And where are they now? A further policy rate increase is anticipated for February, with the benchmark widely speculated to hit 3%. So they're not even that high. Their rates are at not 3%. Even that high. Wow. Well, expected to get to 3% after another increase in February. Wow. Yeah, that's... um. That's. I think that's they're currently crazy. at 2.5%, 2.5% in November. Yeah, okay. Wow. So, well, interestingly though, that I was looking there, pre-pandemic they um, they had say house prices kind of level, and then through the pandemic house prices went up a lot, and now they've just fallen back to pre-pandemic levels. But yeah, I thought this was just really interesting because as I was reading this, yeah, sure it's Sweden, and chances are most of us that listen to this podcast don't live in Sweden. Uh, maybe a few of you do. Shout out in the comments, you know, if if you live in Sweden, but. Um, I thought this is interesting because it kind of highlights we have the same thing in Australia where we're quite sensitive to interest rates with a lot of – we don't have the long fixed interest loans like they have in the States. We have a lot of variable rate debt. We have very high household debt um, yes. or mortgage debt. We have sensitivity to interest rates through um, short-term fixed and a lot of variable rate loans. So, yeah. interesting seeing that uh, house prices coming down um, – Due to just a, a, a rise in the interest rate from 025 to 3% in a year is enough to really start to significantly impact their property market. Yeah. So, it's that, making me, hmm. Yeah, that <laughs> It's is, making um, me, hmm, Hamish. <laughs> it, it is interesting. Yeah, while you were just um, reading that, I was trying to find um, how much Australian house prices had fallen just to get a uh, comparison. And I think I found it. So, by the end of 2022, uh, national... Uh, home price index was down 2.3%. So that's for all of Australia. But if you look at Sydney, for example, Sydney was down 10%. 
Um, so okay. Sydney was, you know, rel- well, what did you say? Sweden was 13%? 13. Yes. Yeah, so, so Sydney's kind of re- in the in the range of, of what Sweden has kind of seen. Melbourne was down 5%. Um, but then mm. you have, um, you, you know, Adelaide was up up 14%. <laughs> so it's clearly, wow. um, it's, it clearly depends on where you live in Australia. There's city different cities city. going on. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne's hot property markets. It makes sense to see them fall the most because they've had mm. um, the biggest increase as you, same as Sweden through, you know, the pandemic, um, interest rates hitting rock bottom. Uh, and people were be- able to pick up these, these very low variable short-term fixed rates very cheaply, mm. you know, 2.2%, 2.5%. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, now we're kind of seeing a little bit of that roll over, but, um, yeah, it, it will Crazy. definitely, definitely be at it. We, we can never really, uh, a lot of people will try and read into how much household debt and, and, uh, interest rates going up this much. Therefore this many people will sell their homes. I, I, that's not something, you know, we're kind of uh, competent in doing. Um, and I haven't really seen any data that, um, I feel, you know, super confident in, but, um, we'll, we'll kind of have to see how it plays out. But a lot of, I think the the housing stuff will in Australia, at least will be over the next year or two, because, um, there's still those three, four year fixed rates that have yet to roll over. We've seen the two years roll, the two year fixed rates roll over from 2020. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of two years from 2021. There's a, like 2021 was, I think bigger than 2020 for, um, purchases. So there's a lot in 2021 okay. that will roll over next year. And then there's the two, three, four year fixed rates that, um, obviously I've still have a couple of years to, to go. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it will be interesting to see, you know, what that looks like and, um, you know, where the, the, the drop in prices happens because yeah, it's not going to be equal mm. across the board. Yep. But it's also interesting, the last point I, I might just say on that is that a place like America where they do have very long-term fixed-rate mortgages yeah. does stand a reason that maybe they do need to hike interest rates more to have the same effect than, say, a Sweden or an Australia or something like that. Yes. Yeah, and that's exactly to, what we're To really pe- yeah, peg back discretionary incomes. Yeah. yeah. It might take more. Yeah, because the only rates that are affecting, uh, can, yeah, if you have a fixed thirty-year fixed rate on your mortgage, then your mortgage isn't going up. Your rates go up. Um, you know, maybe mm. your business loans are going up if you have a business. Your personal loans are going up if you have a car loan. Maybe if you have credit cards that you have money on, they might go up a bit. But yes, it's going to be less of an impact broadly. Um, uh, and yeah, it is going to be more seen at the at the business level, businesses having lower revenues than laying people off, which is exactly what we've seen over the last year. And then those layoffs causing a lower lowering of your income rather than expenses rising from higher debts, if that makes sense. So, mm. um, yep. yeah, interesting. Yeah, cool. It's an interesting story. Anyway, watch this space. Uh, tell me about the box <laughs> office, Hamish. Box office movie. Did you see any movies last year? Did you go and see anything? Oh, I'm sure. I, I Oh, actually, I don't even know if I went to the... I don't know. Surely, I saw a couple. Oh no, actually. I went to see Top. I, saw, I went to see Top Gun. Yes, yeah. This is the um, you can kind of see if you were in the, any of the top ones, which I'll. Oh, and I, I saw Batman. I saw Batman yeah. as well. Yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't <clears> see too many. Anyway. Yeah, th- those are the two that I saw. I don't think I went in 2020 or 2021, and wow. I, part of that was probably because we we're mostly in lockdown in Melbourne during those two years. Mm, true, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I went twice this year, which is um, normally I don't go to the movies that often. So uh, yeah, I saw Top Gun and um, the Batman as well. But uh, yeah, it's it was an interesting year for box office. I always find it interesting to kind of see the overall numbers and and which companies did well. Disney's usually always at the top of they. They make a lot of movies. They do a lot of blockbuster movies. So, um, and they make the best ones. So they they usually capture quite a large 
share. And it's interesting to see if any smaller film studios, you know, had a really successful show. Um, so we can take a look at that and I'll, I'll look at the US box office first and then I'll put it in the context of the global box office as well. Um, but uh, the US box office was pretty soft, uh, soft year. So it came in at uh, $7.5 billion in total domestic ticket receipts. So that's kind of the total box office. Uh, and then, of course, the media companies usually have a, a revenue or, or box office share deal with um, uh, with the cinemas. So part of that goes to the cinema, like AMC, for example. And then part of it will go to the, the media company. Uh, so $7.5 billion in total. Uh, which was still, which was higher than last year, but still down 34% compared to 2019. So nowhere near pre-pandemic levels, um, which is kind of surprising um, given that, uh, you know, everything's pretty open now and uh, people have had a lot of money to spend, but people just haven't been um, spending it at the, the theatres. Still hasn't recovered. No. And to be fair, the number of domestic ticket sales, like say in the US is what I've looked at before, has been declining pretty much every year since 2000. So it's not as if it's a market you would expect to be rising over time as people kind of tend to spend, uh, go to the theaters less often. But in dollar terms, um, it, it has kind of been pretty stable. So 34% is pretty um, a pretty significant decline. Um, mm. And basically the year was a couple of big hits with a lot of mediocre performers. And I say mediocre, but um, I just mean relative to the to the top performers. They still did very well in terms of mm. dollars. But at the top of the list uh, was Top Gun Maverick, uh, which oh. did uh, $719 million at US box office. Um, that's, of course, made by Paramount Pictures. And Paramount doesn't make a lot of movies. Uh, they do a lot of television, um, the Paramount Company, which was previously Viacom CBS, but they don't do a lot of movies. So it's uh, uh, it, it's always kind of surprising to see them you know, do well on this list, but they, they had the mm-hmm. biggest uh, in the US. And that actually represents 10% of the entire box office uh, in 2022. Wow. That actually makes me feel so good because, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe uh, like uh, I like Star Wars and I like, you know, some superhero movies and and whatever and i like visual effects but i don't know like i kind of like because they did all the like all the plane scenes and everything like they shot it they yeah. shot it on camera yeah, you no know cgi yeah it just yeah i actually really like that you know the the one at the top was the movie that was actually like flipping shot with a camera and all the actors were on this location and they were in the jets and they were shooting the jets and i just i just like that i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I i completely agree with you it was um yeah it was super i didn't know that they didn't use cgi for a lot of those shots um when mm. i watched it but then after i found out and i was just you know super impressed by that um, mm. So that was number one, seven hundred nineteen million. Second place uh, was quite a bit lower. Was Disney's Black Panther uh, movie, which came in at four hundred thirty six million. So quite a bit off the off the top wow. there. Uh, next, Disney, uh, Doctor, Doctor Strange, four hundred eleven million. Then Disney's Avatar. So this is the second Avatar movie. Uh, did four hundred one million in the US. It did a lot more internationally, which I'll talk about in a second. But in the US, it was uh, only in fourth place. Then there's Universal's Jurassic World, 377 million. Another Universal um, Minion movie, uh, Warner Brothers The Batman came in, 370 million. Then another Disney one, Thor, uh, Paramount Sonic the Hedgehog. And then the last on the list is Warner Brothers Black Adam. Um, so those were the, what is that? Must be top 10 um, box office yep. hits for the US. So um, very cool. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did the different companies kind of fare? Disney came in at number one with uh, 27% of box office revenue. 
in 2022, they always uh, seem to have the the, uh, the the biggest movies and the largest share. Mm. Um, massive media company doing a lot of movies. Universal, which is owned by Comcast, came in at second with 22%. Paramount actually came in third, despite not producing that many box office um, movies uh, in 2022. So very impressive. Obviously, a big part of that was... Um, uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Closely behind that uh, was uh, Warner Brothers, uh, which had uh, 12.5% of the share. And then fifth place was 12%. And those five, uh, sorry, fifth place was um, Sony at 12%. Those five companies, Sony, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, and Disney comprise about 80% of the box office. So... <laughs> The, wow. that's uh that's what that's what you get when you uh you have a huge amount of consolidation in the media industry yeah. there's just <laughs> like because there's, there's five companies but the amount of movie studios within that like marvel and 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 dc and all of these different movie studios they're all just kind of in these big lumps of uh conglomerates um yeah is, that uh, is pretty pretty ridiculous yeah which is kind of consolidation funny. barrier to entry a lot of big players big yeah. fat moats yeah, and, and all, all of these movies are massive. These are probably, most of them are in total, you know, a billion dollars plus in, in break even uh, before mm. before breaking even. So, you know, these are these are massive movies that are, yeah, not open to, to smaller to film studios. And they tend to be these broad, you know, superhero movies that are broadly applicable. Lots mm. of kids. Um, <laughs> they can get a yeah. lot large kid, uh, kid I wonder audience. how much, because obviously the total cost, you know, they need to recoup is you know, some percentage actual production cost and then some percentage, uh, I imagine, a high percentage marketing cost. Mm. I wonder how that generally breaks down for most movies. Yeah, well... Like, I know for video games, they spend more on the marketing than they do yeah. for the actual game. Yeah. yeah, Which it, is pretty insane. It, it's the I exact it's same. the same with movies. Yeah, Maybe it, not. Is it, it is. Okay. It is, yeah. So, um, typically, I was looking at Disney's um, recently and it's about... Uh, so their their production cost is usually about a third of the overall break even, which is crazy because it means that they spend wow uh, among marketing and um, you know another big cost is the fact that they're not getting um, the total box office they're they're splitting box office with the cinema so between the 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 revenue share with the box office and marketing it's about uh, yeah two thirds of the entire break even cost. <laughs> <laughs> is um wow is, is those things and then yeah third is about is um production um That's which is crazy. which is crazy and avatar was uh, uh was was a little bit worse as well i think because their production cost was 250 million and i think the break even um i think james cameron came out and said that the two billion figure was um wrong it was actually closer to one billion so um in that case it was right. about four times as high as the production costs um that they have to break even, but yeah, it's a lot of money that they're spending on marketing. It's it's kind Jeez. of crazy, just to um, yeah. But it works. I mean, most of these, well, not all of them, but a lot of them end up doing you know a billion plus at the box office. I can talk about it. I mean, global mm. box office, Avatar two actually was number one globally. So even though in the US it wasn't number one globally, it came in at one point eight billion dollars uh, in global box office revenue. In I think it was out for two weeks or or in twenty twenty two. Um, maybe even less than that. So it's, that's an insane figure. Uh, Top Gun came in at second at 1.5 billion. Uh, Jurassic World was 1 billion globally. And the total box office globally was uh, 26 billion, which was a 27% increase from 2021, but still far below pre-pandemic 2019 levels. So there you go. Yeah. yeah some of these movies, um, yeah, they, they do they do big numbers. <laughs> it's kind of astounding. Yeah, it's absolute. They're juggernauts. Yeah. But I don't know. It's kind of a bit 
depressing at the same time because the bigger the budget, the more mainstream it has to be, the less room for creative freedom you have. So I, I kind of don't like it in that way, but hey, it's it's a business at the end of the day. I'd rather have movies than not have movies, so I guess it just is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess a lot of these big movies, yeah, you're right, they're broadly applicable. The stories often aren't that... Um you know, they're, they're, sometimes they're well-written, but they're not, you don't get yeah. as many creative. They're always well, focused on worldwide themes like family yeah, and stuff big, like you that. Know, they're paying $50 million yeah. for an actor and they, that's yeah. where a lot of the money is kind of going and CGI versus storytelling yeah. and, 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 and that sort of thing, um, which you sometimes get better at um, you know, smaller productions. But, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. Part of the, yeah. part of the job, well, I guess. It is part of, part of the industry, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. very interesting. Um, all right, cool. Um, should we leave that there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where do you want to go now? Um, uh, I'm just going to really quickly whiz through this Binance stuff. Uh, I don't follow oh, yeah. Binance. I don't follow crypto, but I thought this was just interesting. Uh, Binance is planning on doing a hiring spree in 2023. CEO Changpeng Zhao said Wednesday, taking a somewhat contrarian view as crypto firms lay off, uh, lay off huge sw- swaths, swathes, swaths of staff uh, amid continued pressure on coin prices. Zhao said, Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, said the company increased headcount in 2022 from 3,000 to almost 8,000. Wow. Uh, in 2023, Binance plans to increase the number of staff between uh, by between 15 and 30%, Zhao said at the crypto finance conference in St. Mortis in Switzerland. Is that how you say it? No idea. No idea. <clears throat> Um, rival exchanges have been forced to cut large parts of their workforces after nearly 1.4 trillion was wiped off the crypto market in 2022, and major digital currencies, including Bitcoin and Ether, saw their prices plunge. Mm. Uh, in November, Kraken announced it was laying off 30% of its staff, and this year, Huobi, never heard of that, and Coinbase said they would cut 20% of their workforces. That was the second round of job cuts for Coinbase in the last year. Xiao said uh, Binance needs to get the company, quote, well organized <clears throat> ahead of the next crypto bull run and admittedly the exchange and admitted that the exchange is not super efficient. Quote, we will continue to build and hopefully we will ramp up before the next big bull run. So there you go. Wow. There you go. That's, I'm waiting um, for that one. I wonder Jeez, if uh, I need to recoup my losses. I need that next big bull run. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's soon. I'm down 80%. Uh, Hamish, what do I do? <laughs> I wonder if uh, the battle, the back and forth between Binance and um, FTX as FTX collapsed, I wonder if that drove people to go towards Binance more. I wonder if they're holding up a lot better than even other exchanges that weren't involved mm. just out of people being concerned uh, about the instability of, of smaller um, exchanges and rush wanting to go towards maybe an exchange that they trust. Well, you know, it's the biggest exchange, that's the most volume. So I wonder if they're experiencing it's that. It's an interesting... While, yeah. I was just going to say, it's an interesting dynamic because um, Zhao said that they they didn't do anything nefarious to try and, you know... Because obviously, yeah, it, the more other players fail, it's better for Binance because everybody yes. comes over. But at the same time, like last year, they said that they were going to save FTX. They said they were going to make a big investment in FTX. And then just a day or two later, they said, (laughs) no. And that 
like <clears throat> so, and then once they said no, it was yeah. FTX was just spent. The sh- yeah, yeah. As soon as he, they so, started tweeting about um uh, about the the risks in FTX, as soon as Binance started risking uh, tweeting about that, that was when the, all the uncertainty started happening. Um, people started to withdraw, and that's when they got in trouble. So I mean, they, whether or not they they would admit it, but they basically caused. FTX, the, at least yeah. the last bit. They didn't cause the fraud and everything, but no, they caused no. they caused it to tip, um, mm. which is interesting because yeah, of course it's negative in the short term because it l- loses people lose confidence in crypto. So naturally, they should they will probably lose volume, but it's also better long term because there's less players. Um, mm. so yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of strange. Xiao has said, "quote He did not master plan the collapse of FTX." So there you go. But it's it, like it's very convenient <laughs> that like all the stuff that he did conveniently helped crush one of their biggest competitors. But, anyway. but he did plan. He didn't master plan. <laughs> but he did plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did not master plan, but I did plan. Um. So yeah, there you go. Uh, Binance hiring, not firing. Thought that wow. was interesting. Is but Binance I, I public? Don't, I don't know. Are they a public company? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no. Oh, maybe not. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that that shows how little we care about crypto. <laughs> we don't yeah. even know if Binance is public or not. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, there that's our go. washed crypto opinion for this week. <laughs> There's been a few washed opinions this uh, this episode. Yep. All right. Should we do some Q and A? Couple of questions, yep. real quick, and then Let's get see. out of here. All yep. right. Oh, by the um, way, if you guys have a Q and A question, you can ask it to us on Spotify, or you can drop us a comment in the comment section on the latest uh, YouTube uh, version of the podcast. So always just go to the latest one, drop it down there, and uh, and we will we will have a look at what you guys are asking and chuck it in our Google Doc. Um, all right. I'll um I'll ask right. you this one. Uh, hi, Hamish and Brandon. Sure. Random question for you. Really, this is really important. Uh, what is the origin story of the beach scene outro on the YouTube version of the podcast? Oh, yeah. I don't even know the answer to this. So no, you don't. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really nothing exciting. I wish there was some cool story or something. I went to the coast. I liked to fly drones back then, and I just flew my drone and took some nice footage of the beach. <clears throat> and then I was... I remember when I was editing the podcast, I was just like, I just need a 20-second clip of something because mm. 20 seconds is how long you're... Um, your what's it called? Your yeah, like card, the, your the end, cards at the screen end card, end screens, yeah. go for, yeah, yeah. So I just chucked that in there, and it <coughs> just has never left. <laughs> I don't even know if I still put end screens on on the video version of the podcast. No, to be we honest. don't. We don't even do that. No. So it's, it's just twenty seconds of just. We need a we nice need to come music. up with a better story. We need a better story than that. We need like you know like I, I went down to the beach and Brandon was like getting attacked by a shark, so I like swam in there, killed the shark. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I don't know. You dragged me back. That's how we first yeah. met. Yeah, and, and then, then um, while I was coughing up blood, I said, <laughs> "Hey man, do you want to do a podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so it began. Yeah, that's, that's 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 the story we'll run with. That's a, that's a way better. Oh uh, dear, oh dear. um oh here's an interesting here's an interesting one relevant to today hamish uh what trust do you place in a ceo and in company messaging if they Uh. say it's all good does their word mean anything yeah well if they yeah as we said earlier very relevant if they don't answer questions and they walk out 10 minutes into the uh into the conference call that's probably um not a good sign but i think 
I think you have to kind of build you have to kind of build the trust with the CEO. You don't automatically trust the CEO, of course, because most CEOs are salesmen or, or saleswomen and, and they're just trying to promote the stock. So there has to be some evidence that uh, for a reason why you trust them. And for me, that means I look back and this is why I like looking at companies with a long history and a CEO who's been in place for a long time. I get to look back over 10, 15, 20 years and I can see uh, you know where issues occurred and how they um, acted in those issues. How they were were they honest with the shareholders or, or were they hiding things? And then it came out later, and they were like, "Oopsie." Uh, and then also with the goals that they set, <laughs> with the goals that they set, do they hit those targets? Do they set a five year target and then five years passes and then they no one mentions the target and they just set a new target? Or do they <laughs> look back and say, "Hey, we missed this, but we're going to try and do this," and so on and so forth? So you have to kind of find the evidence of trust. But once I think it's established, which is, you know, it should be a high bar, then yeah, I, 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 I trust what the CEO is, is saying to me. Um, but that's very few CEOs. It's not, you know, an automatic, I trust what they say, um, if that makes mm. sense. But it's more of a qualitative process. It's not, there's no hard numbers that you can look, look at, at least in, in, yeah. for me in, in this respect. No, I, I don't think I have anything to add to that, to be honest. I think if you asked, uh, that sounds like a very Monish Pabrai answer. Monish Pabrai would say that. He would say, you would go back through 10 years of earnings call transcripts or, or you know, or messaging from the company and he would just see what they were saying 10 years ago and what they actually did <laughs> and see if it lines up, then they're probably pretty trustworthy. Uh, if not, why not? And uh, and he'd go from there. That's what he would say. Hmm. Uh, he says that like um, a great case study is 2008 because obviously nobody saw it coming. And even mm. you can say that about the pandemic as well. So you can, nobody saw it coming. So looking at how they responded to a big event that really affected every company across the board, what, what was their messaging through that? How did they talk to shareholders through an event like that? Um, yeah. What sort of, what sort of outlooks did they give? Um, that can really, really give you some insight into what sort of a player you're dealing with. <clears throat> all right, cool. Um, all right, I'll ask this one to you. I am American. Curious, uh, you two constantly reference American economics and financial data. Uh, is it because your audience is mostly American uh, or does the world mostly focus on US data as a benchmark? I think a bit of both. Um, definitely the audience is mostly American. Uh, for me, on my YouTube channel, at least, um, I think we have a pretty uh, a, a pretty diverse. I mean, we still have a very diverse um, split of listeners on the podcast and viewers on the YouTube channel. But like, if I look at my YouTube analytics, I think it's thirty something percent American, and then everything else is like less than ten percent. Every other country is less than ten percent of that right. pie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's that's mainly why I tend to keep the data more uh, focused on the US. Uh, for for my channel, but it's also like it's where I like to invest, so I kind of have to keep up with it a little bit. Yeah, like all the stocks that are well, not all, but most stocks in my circle of competence just sit in America, you know. So they're going to be affected by whatever's happening in America more so than anywhere else. So I try yeah. and keep up with that. Yeah, and on top of that, it definitely is a global benchmark, um, and and mm -hmm. that's a, a lot of the economic data we tend to, at least for me, I like to look at the US for for the reasons Brandon just said, but it's also it is because it does act as an anchor and does have you know a relatively strong ripple effect across other regions if they raise interest rates and are showing how they're acting against inflation. A lot of countries will honestly look to follow similar policy measures. Um, they look to the US as 
as um, a strong economic machine and, and how they do things other countries tend to follow at least the core concepts and then and then you know have their own um, variations of it so focusing on you mm-hmm. know or looking at and understanding what's happening in terms of um, their, their inflation and, and interest rates and those kinds of broad economic factors is is interesting to me and it, it does have a meaningful impact on the economic data we then see come out in say Australia for example but same as you I think I'm mostly US <coughs> and then Australian is is still a large portion but quite a bit smaller than the US and then UK and, you know, a bunch of other countries. So, yeah, it's pretty broad. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, that will just about do us for today, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, well, (laughs) we still had no worries hitting our our one-hour kind of... I, I don't know, kind of rough guideline that we put on the... <laughs> yeah, not target. Minimum. I don't want to say target. We don't, for, we don't force ourselves to talk for an hour. But no. it's interesting that like even on a slow news week, which this week definitely was slow, there was still uh, we still have a gr- great chat, you know? It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly find it easier to talk to each other, which is good if you're going to do a podcast. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, we very much appreciate it. One reminder again, if you have any Q&A questions, then drop it in uh, the Spotify questions box or over on the most recent podcast episode over on YouTube. But apart from that, thanks very much for an hour of your time. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks, Hamish. See you next week. See you guys.